Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rota Report podcast in association with the Sun and Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back for the new season, uh, here to talk once more about Sunderland, but not in League One, in the Championship, which is nice, and join me is Martin Wanless. Hi, Martin. You uh, have just woke up, haven't you? So we'll apologise to people if you're a bit basey. I just um, just woken up after the match, um, which was last night for me, and it was probably the best kick-off time of the season. Just have to clarify, just have to clarify you're not a lazy bastard, you're actually... <laughs> well, I am as well, but... Yeah, I am yeah. as well. <laughs> no, it was a nine o'clock kickoff in Australia last night, so that's probably the best kickoff time of the season. Um, but after the match, I lie there, replay things over and over in my head, and wonder about different incidents. So yeah, it takes us a while to get to sleep afterwards. But that no, all good. We'll bring you up the speed, I'm sure. And also <laughs> joining us is Craig Chapman. Hello, Craig. Good evening. Speaking of lazy bastards, here I am. Yeah, in your in your dressing gown. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, just like normal. Well, the long-time listeners of this pod will remember the days when we used to do this in a studio and it was it was a little bit more organised. Now, because of the pandemic, we're just hermits, basically. But it, but it allows us to connect. Martin, you wouldn't be able to come into a studio. It'd be a long a long trip to get to a studio every week, wouldn't it? It would, it would. Uh, the game then saw Sunderland draw one all with Coventry in the Championship. It was a good start from the lads. We... We played on the front foot. We got into them. Um, they came at us, to be fair, as well. You know, it wasn't as though Coventry just sat back and let the occasion sort of get on the case um, early doors. And, yeah, we started well. We got a goal, one that I wasn't expecting. But it sounds like, from listening to Jack Clark and Alex Neal after the game, that this is something that they've talked about quite a lot, which was, of course, Jack Clark getting in at the back post to um, to score a header. Apparently, it's something Alex Neal has told him he needs to do repeatedly. And Jack Clark said, I've been nagged about it all through pre-season. So it was nice to actually arrive back post and get a goal. I thought first half, we were the better team. They they did have a decent chance, which Patson saved. Uh, second half, though, was their game. And at full time, when I walked out the ground with me, mate, I said, to be honest, that's probably a fair result, all things considered. Would you agree, Craig? Do you think that was probably a fair result and a fair reflection of how the how the game panned out? Yeah, 100%. I think it really did highlight the quality of the championship, truth be told. We give a really good account of ourselves against a team who ultimately will be there or thereabouts, challenging, I think, uh, for the playoffs again. I think they finished mid-table last season. And I'm pleased overall because they've had a good head start on us uh, to life in the championship. We got promoted two years ago. 
they were better than us then. And although, look, like you, you said, you know, they, they pretty much dominated large spells of the, the ball. I think we restricted them to to just a few chances. But look, even, even then, obviously, it's a great goal for them to get back into it. But overall, really happy with the performance. I think the mood of full-time certainly indicated really that I, th- I think as a fan base, we're, we're well aware that that obviously the, it's it's a big goal from class now coming from League One up to up to this league. Typically, yeah, you would yeah. see us score a goal last season and, and teams would be shit scared. You know, they would drop off us, but credit to Coventry, they didn't. Even though we had a spell again just after, they really weathered the storm. They got back into it. And, um, and yeah, like I say, ultimately, it's uh, it's definitely a fair result. Certainly a good game for the neutral. Do you reckon, Martin, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely fair result. I think um, you know, it kind of ebbed and flowed throughout the game. There was a, a few spells where we had the, the chance to score a second, which probably would have got us to three points, but... At the final whistle, I was quite relieved that we'd we'd got a point because I thought they were coming on strong. And um, their equaliser it was a class goal, but it'd been coming for twenty minutes or so, hadn't it? They'd been threatening. And yeah, look, I think it's it's a good good result, good point. I think it was important not to get beat the first game of the season. I think that kind of dictates the the mood of, of things going into the next few weeks. And also it kind of it was a bit of a reality check for for us as a fan base in terms of the quality that we're going to be facing. And, you know, it did highlight a few areas where we do need to, to strengthen the team. So hopefully from a board level and football director level, we're kind of looking at that and going, yeah, you know, we need to invest in, in the team a little bit more over the next few weeks. I think if we'd won four or five nil, there's probably a tendency to go, ah, it's all right, we'll be fine. But yeah, good point. And and just to, just to put in on that point, uh, Alex Neal said after the game, apparently he wants four or five more players. So it just shows he doesn't it. He's he's not satisfied at all. Yeah. Uh, with what he's got, I think someone made a good point. We haven't loaned anybody yet, uh, have we? Or have we? Sims. No, sorry, Sims is a loan, but we we have still got a fair allowance of loan players. No, we have. Yeah. And left, and and we'll probably comment this when we talk about the game a little bit more. But in fact, let's talk about it now. Like Coventry, when they really kicked into gear in that second half, it was as a result of bringing on players from the bench. They had like an abundance of quality players to bring on. And we didn't take advantage of the fact that we could make, because obviously now you're allowed to make five subs, aren't you? So they just brought on like three really big, quick lads who yeah. caused us problems down, particularly down the right hand side. And it changed the game totally. And that's what Alex Neal will be looking at. I think what he said was that no team has finished higher than 15th after being promoted in the first season. Um, in the championship, which just shows you the gulf that there actually is in quality. And we've got to obviously be pretty content with what we've got right now. We have got a good squad. But he he's going to be looking at his, at his sort of squad overall and thinking, you know, I, I could do with that type of player to bring on. I could do with three or four lads who, if we're losing a game, I can depend on to bring on. And obviously right now he isn't totally satisfied with the team. So that's the big difference I noticed in the two teams. I didn't actually think in terms of quality, Craig, there was a massive gulf between us and Coventry in terms of the way the game sort of went. I thought, like I say, first half we were the better team, second half they were the better team, but their squad, obviously, they saw the fruits of that, didn't they, when when they brought on those players? Yeah, they opened us up a little bit more in the second half, and like you say, I think that's where, obviously, the depth really shone through. It's worth noting that our starting lineup, like it, it consisted of ten of the players that like got us promoted last year. The only new person yeah. in there was yeah. Dan Ballard, and there's been a lot of questions over some of the lads in our team. 
a lot of questions over the likes of, say, Lyndon Gooch, Lugo 9 and stuff like that, whether they can compete at this level. So I was really pleased for, for Gooch in particular because I tell you what, when he was on it in the first half, he absolutely tore that fullback to shreds. And the ball in was... Superb uh, in the first oh, half. The, the ball in was incredible. Absolutely incredible for Jack Clark as well. He, he really well, sold that It wasn't fullback. just the ball though, was it? It was the, it was the way that he got past yeah. the fullback. I don't know whether the fullback had been told like Lyndon Gooch likes to come because he does when you when you watch him when he approaches a fullback generally he cuts inside then he tries to go back down the outside yeah and what he did in that instance was he literally just went round the outside yeah, straight really away clever. totally caught the fullback off guard and yeah. and done a great job to get the ball in yeah you could see I think there was an enormous relief from him as well before running over the rest of the team he turned round sort of raised his arms aloft to to like the west and the southwest corner. And I think that was him basically saying, like, look, you know, maybe I've had my doubts, but but I can I can definitely cut it at this level. And I think quite rightly, like you said, look, I mean, yeah, in the second half, they they had, you know, a large amount of possession, but ultimately, besides a handful of chances, they never really threatened us. And ultimately one of those big chances was us almost shooting ourselves in the foot by by giving possession away on the edge of the box. But Oh God, I, I, do you know what it is? I'd block that out. Jesus, you've just brought that back to us. <laughs> What the what? hell was that? <laughs> oh my god! You've just yeah. Do you know like when you do you know when you forget something really bad and then someone brings it back up and you're like, oh my, like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, look, that, I mean that that was that was our bad I mean, bit, wasn't it? That was our bad bit. But to be fair, oh, like I say, the goal the goal bad. that's got them back into the uh, back into the game. There's there's nothing you can do about that. I thought Patterson did really well, but it doesn't matter who's in goal. Nobody's stopping that. It was a brilliant finish. Yeah. Oh, it was mint. And that to be fair, that lad who's up front for Coventry, I think he's been linked with Premier League moves like. That's what I was trying to say to my friend as well when I was walking away from the ground. Like you've got, to, we've got to remember, like, all right, in the in the sort of context of the game, we're probably just as good as them over the sort of ninety minutes, pretty even match. But they've got a handful of players who probably could play in the Premier League because they're a good team, and we're not used to that. We we used to play in League One sides who've got a few players who were good enough for the Championship. So it's a big change in that sense and. Those players like um don't want to butcher his name, is it Cotter? I, I might yeah. be wrong. But he's he's obviously I think he got eighteen goals in this league last yeah. year. And he you look you look at him, he's he's, oh, he's young, a, he's athletic, player, he's like, a beast. Mm-hmm. He's a you yeah. can just see it, can't you? Like you switch off for that moment and that's what happens, you know? Yeah, when I was walking back over from uh, from the ground of full time, I got speaking to a family of Coventry fans and they they basically said that they don't expect that they'll have him at all by the end of the window and I thought that was that was quite surprising I know that um, O'Hare is it O'Hare the, the lad who's been linked with Burnley uh, it seems like they've got a, a yeah, lot, of, didn't play a lot of eyes on some of their squad at the minute uh, and obviously this lad's give a, a good account of himself done it in front of the Sky cameras so I think realistically speaking there's there's going to be a lot of suitors for him but that ultimately shows the quality yeah. if you get the ball in around that area you know what a finish! But I, I was listening to um, the the preview pod that that we did with the the Coventry fan that Chris did earlier in the week, and he was saying that there's three or four players like O'Hare and like the the lad who scored that the kind they're just keeping the fingers crossed that they can get to the end of the transfer window without them going. And mm. you know the Coventry side come September could be a different side altogether if you take two yeah. or three of those players yeah. out. So it's kind of potluck who you play at the start of the season before the transfer window finishes, because you'd hope that we're yeah. stronger come the 1st of September and some of these teams that we're coming up against could be weakened couldn't they? Yeah I stuck a tweet out prior to recording just asking some of the listeners to drop some questions in and Owen Sarah and Marley Gibson have both basically asked the same question about the performance asking you know is is that level of performance what we need to keep throughout the season to be stable 
Marley said, is this the game we should really use as a benchmark for the season? What do you think, Martin? What you saw from Sunderland, did that give you confidence that we're going to be all right? Or do you need to say more? Oh, look, I think if we keep the same team as we sort of lined up with and have, have on the bench for the whole season, you can tell it's going to be a bit of a struggle towards the, the bottom end, of the, the middle bit of the, the league, I would say. I think um, we saw some good bits. I think we've got players who can score goals and create chances from an attacking point of view. The the biggest area I, I kind of have a little bit of a concern about and would like to see us strengthen is in, in midfield. I think we, we struggle to get a real hold on the game and change mm-hmm. their domination of the game for spells. And, and just to put in there, I think I actually think he picked Embleton and he picked Dan Neal for that reason because he thought they're going to keep it on the deck so we need to try and play football. Yeah. And like Embleton got hooked, which I thought was a little bit unfair actually. I thought Dan Neal had a decent first half, but second half he was just wasn't in the game. He was an enormous second half, wasn't he? Yeah. And that and that was I mean, since we brought it up, I, I stuck a poll out on Twitter just before we recorded as well asking people which position they think we need to strengthen next. 80.5% of people said centre mid. Now, I think there's a bit of a shift since the game because before the game, I think a lot of people were pretty happy with our central midfield options, but I think maybe people thought we could do with something in there. No, that's right. I think you, you kind of need somebody who will probably do a little bit of a different job to what we've got available. Like we've we've got yeah. a few midfield players um, who can give us options in there and they all do something a little bit different. Like I thought Corey Evans had mm-hmm. a decent game off the ball um, he obviously had a couple of misplaced passes that that gave them a chance in the first half, and Dan Neal gave him a chance in the second half. Although it was a bad ball to put him into into that um, situation, wasn't it? It was funny because I was I was watching commentary pass it around at the back, and I, whether I, it's just my age or what, but I've got I've got a real aversion to teams passing it around <laughs> like that at the back because you're just going to give somebody a chance. I was I was thinking we're we're going to get a chance from commentary doing this this here because they they were doing mm-hmm. it, and then all. For what the one time that we really tried to do it, and we offered them up a an open goal, really didn't we? But mm-hmm. now, look, we 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 need a different option in centre midfield. Just somebody, and it's it's that kind of mythical centre midfield player, isn't it? Who can really dominate and dictate and do almost everything. We we'll just um, need Kevin De Bruyne. We'll just just get him. <laughs> that's all we need. But um, no, I think you know, as you say, Gav, I think that sentiment will have changed after the nine minutes that we saw. Um, and yeah. I think if you'd done it beforehand, fullback and striker probably would have come up ahead of um, centre midfield. But yeah, and again, as I said, it's, it shines a light for, for everybody on where we need a bit of strengthening. And, you know, we've mm-hmm. got got a few weeks to, to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I've on the last couple of pods, I've banged this point home and I stick by it because I will all season. But I'm I'm very much in favour of sort of sticking by Dan Neal, giving Jamie Tetty a chance. Like, I want to see these players in the team. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't go out and shore up those options as well. You know, I, I, like when when we were losing a little bit of control in the midfield, it was Luke O'Neill who was coming on, and we yeah. we know where he, we know all about. He's been there five years now. We we know all about Luke O'Neill's strengths and weaknesses as a player. Corey Evans is a very steady central midfielder, but again, he isn't going to score your goals. He's not going to dominate games from the middle, which is probably the player we're lacking at the minute. And I think Dan Neil can be that player, Craig. I just don't know. I don't know whether it's going to happen straight away. I think he's he spent a lot of time out the team last season, and he's got a bit of readjusting to do, as they all do with with changing leagues. 
Adam Hegarty's said on Twitter that with regards to the poll, he would have probably voted for central midfield, but he's asked, do we give Mateti a chance first? It all feeds into that same sort of argument, doesn't it, that we've got these two young lads who we've put a lot of faith in. And Mateti, in, in terms of Mateti, a lot of money went into that deal to get him here. In terms of Dan Neal, all of the praise he's, he's had, all of the, you know, the plaudits, the contract that he got, probably talk of building a team around him long term and stuff. So where do you stand with that midfield and, and where we go from here? I think one of the biggest observations I had is with their team, even though they're of like a similar build, it's just how physical they were. They always seem to say shove us off the ball yeah. a little bit. And, and annoyingly, when it was, you know, us kind of shoving them off the ball, of course, the referee was favouring every single decision. But um, I think we, we have for such a long time lacked like a real physicality in midfield. If you could just have somebody of the build and mould of, say, like an Alfred and Dyer, and maybe just instill like a football and brain, maybe even just put Dan Neal into that body, then you probably got the midfielder you want. And the moment, truth yeah. be told, I still don't know what type of midfielder Jamie Teddy is. And I think he will get his chance to, to have a go, obviously, with such a long season, obviously cup games, there is going to be heavy squad rotation he'll manage. But again, for me at the moment, yeah, based on today's performance, I'd be looking at that. I'd want a ball carrier, basically, somebody who can go box to box. And I think there was a couple of times where some of the mm -hmm. lads did look a little bit off the pace. But I think that's understandably so, because it's the first game of the season. You know, they are going to perhaps look a little bit leggy um, until they get those minutes up. Because, to be fair, we didn't have the longest pre-season schedule and we did come back late after after the playoffs. So, yeah, I'd ideally think that a centre midfielder is going to be amongst one of those four or five players that Alex Neal wants to, you know, we're, we're spoiled for attacking riches, I think, to be fair, in terms of, you know, Pritchard, we've got Embleton, Roberts, Clark, Stewart, Sims now as well. So I think that deficiency really is just lying in midfield. I mean, you mentioned 09, I think, to be fair to him. Obviously, it was probably a hard game to come on for anybody because of the substitutions that they made. They they began to control the tempo. So I think at that point, the game had got away from us. And the thing that I was pleased with is yeah. that he was happy to at least, you know, get stuck in. And that's where I think um, I think where we just fell apart a little bit is when they uh, they really began to stretch us with legs in that second half. And that's ultimately where the goal come from. So if we could have somebody to shore that up a little bit, because at least Corey Evans, he's got the intelligence. He knows what to do. But I just think by the time Coventry had equalised, everybody was dead on their feet. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it, like, Gav, to pick up a point that you raised um, earlier about the five subs, because if you think about the... You've got seven people on the bench. You can use five of them. One's going to be a keeper. So pretty much all six of those outfield subs, you've got to have a, a, a reason for having them on the bench. It's not like yeah. in seasons gone by where you chuck a few people on the bench, you can only select three of them. And... The fact that we only brought on two out of five changes kind of speaks volumes about how Alex Neal perceives the quality he has on the bench to change yeah. the game. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you know, picking up on, on, on the midfield options, like the only centre midfield option we had on the bench was 09. It was 09, yeah. wasn't on the bench. Winchester wasn't on the bench. And we had Bailey Rice, Trey Hume, Elise, and 09, who can all play in defence. So, like, we didn't have the options there to, to, to really change that game if it went the way that it, it did. Um, and I think that's going to, you know, it's a different dynamic for, for the manager to be able to, to make five because it opens up first half subs a lot more than we've ever seen previously. Um, but you've got to have those options that are game changing. And, you know, to have essentially three centre halves on the bench with, if you count 09 as a, a player who can fill in there. Um, we kind of limited ourselves a little bit 
to to change that game if if it did go the way it did. Yeah, I'm just looking at the subs when you brought them up. They're their subs, like the ones they didn't use. Obviously, one was a goalkeeper, former son and player Ben Wilson, Michael Rose. Guessing by the fact he's number four, he's a midfielder. Callum Doyle, of course. And then you look at the four who did come on. Tyler Walker, who's a big, powerful, quick forward. Fan Catty Dabo, who I think has been there probably since they were in League One. I remember him being quite a good player for them in League One, if I remember rightly. Uh, Fabio Tavares, who came on caused a lot of problems. Casey Palmer, who came on caused a lot of problems. Like You're looking at those players in the profile. They're all big, athletic, quick lads with yeah. pace and power and who can drive our teams and and th- that's what they did they they looked at it they said Sunderland Sunderland are pretty pedestrian at the minute let's put some pace on the pitch and get at them and the 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 lads they put on down the right hand side they caused Jack Clark a lot of bother and like that I would say that because he played he actually played left wing back I think Alex Neal said in the said in his comments after the game that Clark was playing left wing back which yeah. sitting in my seat at the game I hadn't actually realized I just thought we were playing a back four um, but yeah, he made mention of that, and sort of Clark has basically played that position, hasn't he? Pretty much since he came, like more probably more as a left wing back than he has anywhere else. And I would say that his strengths and weaknesses don't lie in defence. So that probably highlights another issue as well, doesn't it? Like Dennis Serkin, who was signed as a left back, has played left of a three quite a lot under Alex Neal. We've had. Jack Clark playing left wing back, who's a right footed forward. Are we short at full back? Do we need another left back, do you think, Craig? I'd say so. I mean, this is pretty much the exact situation we found ourselves at the start of last season, wasn't it, when Dan Neal was playing left back? But I think what does give us yeah. a little bit of reassurance is although at the moment we are under strength, no doubt, and we do need to bring in a couple of more bodies, is that at least if, you know, kind of Christian Speakman's sort of history at the club tells us anything, is that um, like he's, he's happy to wait for his targets. And ultimately, you don't want to give teams around you a good head start, but also you don't want to bring in, you know, poor players just to to fill up the squad, just to basically bolster the ranks. Yeah. So at least over the course of the next couple of weeks, you think when Premier League clubs begin to make their moves um, and then gradually start to unload some of their unwanted players, you think that's where we'll probably kick into life a little bit. We'll still remain to be linked with them, um, you know, with the likes of Nathan Broadhead and a few other players. So you think that that, that might actually go to the wire. Um Fullback wise, yeah. I mean, look, like I say, I'm I'm a long term fan of of Lyndon Gooch, but ultimately, is he a natural right back? You know, it remains to be seen if he's going to be going to get a a long period there. But what I want from every single player, regardless of how much I like them, is I, is I want people to push them. I, I want them to know that if they have like a bad game, if they drop their performance, that somebody is going to be waiting in, in the ranks, basically ready to take it off them. So they're going to have to fight back twice as hard yeah. to get into the team. And no matter who they are, whether it's Patterson and Gola or even Ross Stewart up front, we need to ensure that we've got depth because ultimately what changed that game today was Coventry bringing on, bringing on those players and that, that allowed them to change the shape. And obviously, it, like I say, they opened us up and they, they came at us with such a speed that we just couldn't cope in the end. So a couple of weeks from now, if, yeah. if we can do that or other teams, if we can bring five subs off the bench, then I think we're going to be in a much healthier position. But like I say, I, we can go back to, is it a good point or not? I think ultimately we've got to look at that today and say we're nowhere near at our you know, full strength, yes, or at least what Alex Neil wants. And we've still went toe-to-toe with a with top-half championship side who are favoured, obviously, for the playoffs. And we've come away with a good point. So, yeah, there's there's certainly room for us to grow, but there's not room for panic stations over recruitment, I would say, just yet. I'd give it time. No, no. 
no, you're totally right. I think people have just got to remain patient, and they have been. I think um, I think the vast majority of fans can see what they're trying to do. They can see the strategy. Obviously, you know, when you hear Alex Neil talk about it, he doesn't seem like he's frustrated by it. You know, he's just being honest. He said, like, you know, of course I want more players, but we have a way of doing things, and this is the way it is, and. You know, we've got like a month left. Like that's the other thing. There's a full month left of the transfer window. There's a lot of football to be played in that time as well. We'll get what we need. Although I have talked about this in great depth over the last few weeks, so I won't bore people further. Uh, we'll go back to the game. Uh, you touched on a positive there with uh, the fact that we went toe to toe with this team. One player who stood out certainly in the eyes of Andy, who does our player ratings, and uh, Sky was Alex Pritchard, Martin, player who's played a lot of football in the championship player who's proven himself at the top end of this league, player who's had Premier League moves. We would we know how lucky we were to have him in League One. Um and it was interesting listening to his Sky interview after the game where they asked him about that and I thought his answer was brilliant. He was sort of asked you wouldn't have signed for any other club in League One, would you? And he would say, Well I had to earn my place in this league still, you know. I'm I haven't just waltzed into the championship. I had to earn yeah. my place back here. And he does seem very driven to prove himself all over again, doesn't he? Even though he's not a young man in football in terms anymore. He's he's closer to thirty than he is twenty. He got off to a good start, didn't he? And he played really well. No, he did, and I think it impacted us when he he went off the the field. And what I like about Pritchard is that you can you can focus on all of the the nice football and stuff he does. You know, he's got a great eye for a pass. He can control the ball. There was a few in the first half where he tried to to sort of spring Ross Stewart or Lyndon Gooch on the right hand side, and he he got there on on a few occasions. But he, I think he really sets a tempo for us as a team off the ball as well. You know, he does a, a lot of donkey work, which you wouldn't necessarily expect from a player um, like Pritchard. And, you know, in, in itself, that type of behaviour has you know, real leadership qualities. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you look at Alex Neal talking earlier in the week about the model that we were implementing. And yes, it's based on bringing in younger players who will have resale value and we can coach them and make them better. But that's got to be complemented by a, a senior group of, of pros who can you know help do that and Alex Pritchard is one of those senior pros at the club and he, he you know he's a different type of leader to to Danny Barth and um Bailey Wright but he's a he's a good leader for us and I think he, he can become you know something of our sort of talisman throughout the season look he's got a point to prove hasn't he he's had a, a couple of bad years as Huddersfield had a big move there didn't work out I think Huddersfield fans hold him in the same regard as we hold Jack Rodwell, which oh, you know, well, we I'll, yeah. we can't we can't believe when you look at what we've seen over the past twelve months, can you? But yeah, well, I spoke to a Huddersfield fan the other day, and I, and I asked them about that. I said, I, I honestly can't believe the way that your fans think about him because we have not seen that player, yeah. and not that they're lying. That obviously happened. You know, he obviously had a really bad three years with Huddersfield, but. I think what we've seen is a, a much more mature uh, Alex Pritchard has probably reflected on what was really a, a difficult period in his life and his career, and that's kept him hungry. Like we we are getting a player in Alex Pritchard who who we know is capable of playing probably in any team in this league. Really, yeah. you know, he wouldn't look out of place in any of them, would he? No, he, he wouldn't. And look, we haven't seen that type of player. We haven't seen that type of person as well. Like he's got everything, and you know, players. Uh, pe- people go through changes in, in life, don't they? Where you know you you think about things and you've got a different mentality and attitude to something that you you had three or four years ago, and it's it's part of you, human nature. So you know whether something's just clicked for him, 
Um, or, you know, he's just got his fitness, got his confidence. Who knows? But there's times in the season where he'll be on the bench and, you know, to have him as an option. And I actually thought he'd be on the bench for the commentary game because I thought with the last 30 minutes to bring him on could be a game changer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, look, I think he, he's a very important player for us this season and he can he can offer so much all over the park, really. Yeah. A couple other things from the game then. We've got to talk about the ref. Like, I, I, <laughs> one, what the hell was that in his hair? And two, <laughs> the referees at this level, I mean, if if that's a standard, they're not they're not much better than League One. Jesus. I, I thought he was terrible, Craig. Just didn't seem to want to give Sunland anything and blue for everything that was half a foul if it was a, on a Coventry player. Um, sign the things to come, or I certainly have we just wouldn't got ask. a particularly bad ref who. I mean, I mean, the, the thing in his hair told me that he knew he was on TV at least, and he wanted to show off a bit. <laughs> I'm not. To be fair, I'm not commenting about anybody's fashion. Like if he, if he, if he <laughs> thinks he can pull that off at uh, whatever age he is, fair play to him. Um, but like, no, he was he was absolutely <laughs> terrible. And I know he'd done one of our games last year. I think he'd done the Shrewsbury game at the back end of the season, and. Um, I mean, I I have no memories of him from that day, but he's perhaps trying to make a name for himself in front of Sky Cameras, big crowd. But there was a lot of things he was blown for either side. I mean, typically, we had the most fouls conceded, of course, but he he could have just let them go. There was a really good game of football brewing in that first half, but the amount of stop-start and the amount of favourable decisions that he was given to them, and it was one of them where you were getting to a point thinking, like, what does Ross Stewart need to do here to win a free kick? Because he was getting yeah. dragged all over. It was unreal. Uh, it was embarrassing at times to back watch. All sorts, isn't it? it reminded me of Niall Quinn back in the day. Exactly when that. Quinn yeah. used to just get belted all over the place, kneed in the back. And getting out. Never got a foul for it. So I certainly hope that's not a sign of things to come. But um, I mean, interestingly, there was nothing mentioned in the post-match comments from, from Alex Neal and that. But I think that really sums up the type of bloke he is. He doesn't want to look for excuses or anything like that. We've both played in the same conditions. But... Let's see. Mm. We'll wait and see. We might be moaning about it next week. It's interesting with the the refs. So I was reading yesterday about um, the, the new guidance that had been been given, and they've been told to let fouls go if they're not serious fouls. So only blow up for for proper fouls and not stop start the game, and to cut down on on time wasting. And I thought for the first fifteen minutes or so, he did actually let a few things go that would normally be be blown up for. But after that, he blew up for pretty much anything that yeah. we did. And you look at the stats, I think we, we, he blew up for 16 fouls against us and only six for, for Coventry. And I, actually, I don't think it was weighted. The game wasn't weighted like that. No. I, I think it was a fairly even game in terms of the tackles and the physicality. It was. It was. I think we both matched each other equally. And if anything, they probably should have just shared it in terms of, like I say, just, just on Stewart's back and we, we got nothing. Mm. And then there was a period where, like, Embleton went down and he just he just looked at him like a bag of shit. As if, like, what are you even yeah. doing trying to, like, get a get a foul for this? And then a couple of minutes later, the exact mm-hmm. same thing. And he gave it to Coventry. But like I say, it, it it just stopped. It stopped the game so many times, and there was there was a good floater in the first half, especially when we were on top. You know, we, I'm not yeah. saying we would have capitalized, but you know, there's a good chance that we could have kept that rhythm and momentum going. But even that book and Jack Clark got that. That was probably the nah, was the softest tough. foul of the whole game, and he booked Clark and I, Ballard had the lad's shirt off pretty much every time he went mm-hmm. he went near him, and it took a, a while for him to. To book Ballard, that's going to be something we'll need to watch Ballard with, like because he'll give a penalty away because people have been watching that 
on TV yesterday. Yeah. He, every time he went near that, like he had a shirt. A couple other things then. Uh, we'll, we've got to give credit to the Spirit of 37 group, the display before the, the game. The amount of work that's gone into that just for what was effectively like a couple of minutes of of a display is unreal, really. Like all the fundraising, the work that goes into actually creating the designs, printing work, collecting it, making sure that every seat had a card on it, planning the actual, um, the unfurling of the of the giant surfer that was in the south stand, the flags around the sides, there was the two big banners with the messages on them that were in the east stand, volunteer effort taking place for to collect all the, all the rubbish in that's been left off the back of it, off all the cards and stuff. What an effort, like, to do something. Just just to basically show the world, like, we are Sunderland. This is who we are. This is our identity. Everything that was in the TFOs and the and the banners and stuff was around who we are as, as a people. It was mint, wasn't it? I actually looked at it, especially when I saw the ship in the East Stand, and I was like, that's mint, that. Yeah, it was classic. I was a bit uh, taken back by it. It was brilliant. Like, like you say, in terms of the hours they put into that... I mean, I've I've spoke to Jamie a couple of times, and in, in, in particular, in before the Sheffield Wednesday playoff game, and like they go down to the stadium like a couple of times a week, and it's not just like they're there for like half an hour or whatever. They are there for hours upon hours upon hours sorting this out. Uh, Saturday afternoon, they're yeah. they're in there with all the cards, and then obviously we had really bad weather overnight. So morning they were back in like fixing all of that, and and like I say, essentially they get nothing from us apart from obviously that that two three minutes before kickoff. But a lot of people have, have, me in particular as well, have complained about the atmosphere inside the stadium life for for like a long time, especially when the away fans moved. And we've all said that, you know, the stadium, it looks a bit soulless at times. It looks a bit drab because it's been, you know, it's been let go a bit, hasn't it, really? There's been no effort to sort of tidy the place up or anything. But all of a sudden, when you come in now and uh, and Dance of the Nights is playing and, and you see all those crowd mosaics going up, it, it really does... Just gives you a sense of pride again a little bit, and you know that's that's been sort of sucked mm-hmm. out of us for for a good number of years now. So look, you know they they're going to be asking for obviously more fundraising over the course of over the season, and uh, and to be fair, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And to be fair, Sky give us an awful lot of credit for it as well, and um, and they give them a shout out. It's it's a tremendous effort. I know the mags think we we'll copy them fair for everything they do, but. Uh, no, I, th- I think it, it really does add something to it. I think after the, the Wembley game, it might have got sort of lost in the, the aftermath of, of winning promotion, but obviously they, they've done an awful lot of work for the Wembley game, didn't they? And they weren't allowed to, yeah. to yeah, use it last massively. minute. So it was nice, yeah. to, nice to see everything that went off on, on Sunday because, as Craig said, it makes such a, a difference. And it, I think it just gives everybody a lift and gives everybody that pride in the club. And... You know, it's a good couple of minutes, isn't it? And it shows potential signings. It shows yeah anybody really anybody looking around the world at that. It, it's just a nice thing to show off. Sometimes that we're proud of who we are. Yeah. Well, I know Luke O'Nine came out and he um, he spoke with volunteers at the end and he said it really does add add obviously to the uh, to the atmosphere and he said it, he thinks that the, the players really do respond to it. And I know Dan Ballard as well. He came out and um, I think he said he was a little bit overwhelmed by his like to, to basically come out and play in front of forty thousand fans. That was his <laughs> like his first big sort of crowd that he's ever played in front of. But I think everybody responded to the occasion and they really should be taking the plaudits fair for obviously for setting that all up. It was it was quality. Yeah. The probably big sort of dampener on the whole day for me was the yet again, crap being thrown down from the away end onto the fans in the north stand. I think if there was a couple of flares thrown down, which apparently one of which landed on a little girl. Glass bottles, like I mean, we've got to talk about it 
Craig, you were there, same as me. Did, what needs to happen? Because this is this is it pretty much every time, isn't it, now, that we play somebody and we concede a goal. It's crap's get I mean, it's not just a Sunderland problem, like it's a this is why there's new laws in place now in with regards to stadiums. Like last year, particularly towards the end of the year when teams had things to celebrate, we're seeing a lot more pyrotechnics in, at games, we're seeing a lot more everything really and unsavory behaviour at games and now we're in a position where like every time we concede a goal people in the north stand are going to be wondering am I going to get a bottle twatted off my head it's not good is it like what something needs to happen the club need to do something about it what goes through your head like to be fair like when we scored all I wanted to do was just go nuts like so what goes through your head equalise away from home five six minutes to go and you think you know could potentially win the game here but instead somebody's managed to smuggle obviously pyros in they've smuggled glass bottles in so for one, how are they doing this? Because typically when we go away from home, like we are trapped like prisoners the way that we're, you know, search going into ground. So I don't know how they managed to smuggle it in, but this has been raised with the club a couple of times. And, you know, without being negative towards the club, because I know we've we've discussed them positively, on the pitch we're getting a lot right, away from the pitch, whether it's the retail side, the commercial side, or, or this sort of side, fan safety, like we're, we're getting this drastically wrong. This has been going on a while. This happened in the 5-4 game a couple of years ago. It happened with Portsmouth and it's happened with these again. So there's going to be a lot of, of, of people contacting the club, but ultimately what I'm doing is I'm contacting Coventry. If, I, if I'm if I'm Sunderland now, I'm contacting Coventry and saying, right, listen, next season, assuming we're in the same division, you're getting no fans here. Like, we are literally clamping down on you because you're, you're repeat offenders. And people might think that's a bit excessive, but, like, at the end of the day, you've, you've got to look after our fans. And if there's kids in the North Stand which is ultimately our home end, getting shit lobbed at them, it's just not right, especially from that height as well. You could potentially kill somebody. Yeah. And ultimately, that's why the North Stand is so sparse all the time. People don't want to sit there out of fear that people are going to throw shit at them. Now, there's a couple of ways you can respond yeah. to it. You can put the netting up. I know that the club turned that down a couple of years ago under, um, under Stuart Donald. They said that was too cost excessive and stuff would still get through. You can relocate them. I think that Northumbria police have said that they're they're happy to keep them up in the uh, in the concourse because essentially you can just need to monitor them from one side rather than obviously from two sides of the ground if they're in the lower ball. But like something needs to be done now, like it, it needs sorting. And I think if this is going to become the new thing again, where arseholes are bringing stuff like that in, then it it needs to be stopped. I mean. Th- there was this big thing on Sky the other day saying, like, you, you will get bans. You will get three-year bans or five-year bans for doing it. So, like, why would you risk that? And not just that. Like I say, what goes through your head? Like, wh- I, I don't know the age of these people who have done it, whether it's young lads, grown blokes, whatever, but to launch it over without any consequences, think, like, literally no remorse or anything, not arsed, throwing that over and not bothered about the actions... To be honest, they're just a bunch of fucking assholes. That's the nicest description you've got for them. Yeah. And ultimately, mind, if this was our fans as well, we'd be calling them out for it for the same sort of behaviour. Thankfully, we we haven't had this. And that's not to say, by the way, like when pyros are going off and stuff, it doesn't look great. Because to be fair, at Wembley, it looked mint at full time when they were going off. But just what are you doing throwing them at people? Like, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. So yeah. ideally, I want the club to, to sort this. It's a major issue. And if fans are going to be ultimately think, thinking, like, I'm not safe going to the ground, it's just not right, is it? No. And it's just, <laughs> the other side of it is, is that the turnstiles, like, there needs to be more done to stop it even getting in the ground. Yeah. I know, it's imp- I know people always find a way to get things in, but invest a bit of money in it. Like, 
and make the other clubs pay for it if they are repeat offenders. If we've got to stick like extra extra stuff on the turnstiles and sniffer dogs and things like that because their fans can't behave themselves, then that shouldn't be as a cost to us necessarily. That should it's particularly Coventry, like you've just used them as a, this has happened before. It's not the first time. Apparently it was a glass bottle that was thrown. Yeah. Who shaped the glass bottle into the ground in the first Man, it's just ridiculous. It it totally takes the the shine off the, any occasion, any game. We could be talking about somebody being killed by something hitting them on the back of the head. Like that's how serious this is. The thing about like the the knock on sort of consequences with stuff like this as well, though. I mean, there there is a bit of needle between us and Coventry. Like when we've been down there, especially uh, the one one draw when we first dropped into League One. Like their fans, the way they went on a full time was absolutely scandalous. Just literally attacking people. And that yeah. was like blokes with kids and stuff like that, literally just trying to windmill into people. Now, whether that culture is coming back, I've got no idea. But like either way, it, it needs to stop. But like if if that sort of behaviour is going on in the ground, ultimately it's just going to fuel people in, in other areas. You could get somebody from a different area of the ground thinking, right, I'm going to come out and I'm going to smack a Coventry fan just because of the way that's gone on. And ultimately innocent people are getting caught up. Like I say, those people in the in the lower north stand. And we, we, could, we could have a different podcast here. We could be talking about like I say, somebody getting severely injured rather than talk about a good performance. And it's a long-term issue. And I know, obviously, the red and white army, they have the regular meetings. But what I want to see more from from them is is they do get fobbed off a lot. Steve Davison, perhaps, for use as an example, will say, we'll take this away, we'll come back to it. Say, like, we really need to start pressing now to say, actually, like, you're not doing anything about these issues. So I'd like to think that there's going to be some sort of answer or some sort of clarity on it, but um, it needs to stop. As a club, there's... Um... There's a duty of care, isn't there, really, for anybody who's coming into the ground to be looked after and have a, a safe environment in which to, to watch the match. So, you know, we've kind of, to encounter this on day one of the, the new season, we're not going to be able to relocate away fans this season. You know, you've got season tickets and all that, so it would be a big undertaking to actually to do that, wouldn't it? So they've got to look at either putting that netting up, which will reduce stuff, or, you know, the, the, the banning orders that have been put in place there shouldn't be for if you do something in the ground. It should be if you try to bring anything into the yeah, ground, yeah. you get a banning order. Like It's got to be, the deterrent's got to be enough to stop people doing it. It's got to be more steps in place before it actually gets to that point yeah. where somebody's doing something because otherwise it's only going to continue. And you know We've seen it from Coventry on a couple of occasions, but it's not just a, a Coventry issue. Yeah, We saw in the, um, in the playoffs at the end of last season in, in different leagues, pitch invasions, at Everton, their last game when they stayed up, there was pitching like it's it's happening throughout football, which is why those those bans have been put in in place. Haven't they? But there needs to be a strong deterrent, and we we need to be proactively finding people who've got things that they're trying to bring into the grounds because it's only a matter of time before something has a serious consequence. And as you say, that you know, I was reading something just before where a fellow was saying like, he'd got hit on the shoulder with a glass bottle and then missed his young kid's head by a couple of millimetres. And if that's a couple of millimetres either way, Craig, you and I have kids, and you it would make you think again about taking them, certainly in the north stand, because you, you wouldn't want to put them in that position. So yeah. it's, a, it's a huge issue that the club's going to have to sort out. It's important that all of us continue to raise these, because they are issues, and we, you're not being arsy by bringing it up. There's a lot at the minute, mainly, in fact, all of it off the off the pitch stuff. It's frustrating fans. This is the latest one to come to the fore because yet again, we've had problems at a game 
And it won't be the last time this season if it's not addressed. And there's other stuff. There's the retail side of things. There's the um, the problem with the ticket office, the problem with the club shop, the problem with just about anything, really, that's not to do with on the pitch. There's a lot of things like bouncing around in people's heads. We should never feel like we can't bring them up, like we have to bring them up. We have to hope that, like you just said, at these meetings that the club have with supporter groups, that they actually start acting on stuff. Particularly now we're out of League One. Like obviously, we can understand a lot of focus and resource went on just getting the club out of that league. Now we're back in the championship. It's time to start acting like a big club again. Yeah. And like a caring club. We were always the caring club. I was When I was a kid, I can always remember us being referred to as the caring club. It was something that Bob Murray actually was pretty proud of when he was our owner. I know he did a lot wrong as Sunderland owner, but he also did a lot right. And one thing he did pride himself on was the fact that Sunderland was the caring club. And um, it's now time, I think, that we start taking a little bit more care in supporters. And this is just one issue, isn't it? I mean, there's, there, there are many of them. I didn't want to end on a sour note, but we sort of have. We'll quickly touch on the Bristol game then, uh, before we disappear. They lost their first game of the season away at Hull. I don't know if you saw the goals, but Jesus Christ. The penalty was never a penalty. I mean, I'm on, this is why I'm scared of these referees in the championship. Because <laughs> you think the ref we had was bad. Watch. I, I, I urge people to seek out the um, the highlights from this game, Hull versus Bristol City. The lad trips over his own feet, dives, and then gets a penalty. And then... Um, in the very last minute of injury time, Hull's new star signing, John michael Serry, shoots from range. The ball's going nowhere near the back of the net. Hits a defender, loops over the goalkeeper, goes into the back of the net. So they'll be absolutely sick that they managed to lose that game, having having taken the lead, and they're gonna they're gonna want blood. And they're a good team. Bristol City, I mean, even when Lee Johnson was the manager, they were always there or thereabouts near the playoffs. They're one of the more steady championship teams, aren't they? Who don't seem to go anywhere really. They just sort of mill around in the middle of the in the middle. But is this a chance for three points? Do you think, Martin? Are you, are you hoping we're going to go there and and get three points? How how do you think Alex Neil will be thinking about it? Because I think in most cases he'll be happy with just getting any point on the board. But we do have to get a win at some point, don't we? So is this is this one you think we can win? Oh, look, I think we can. I think we can win. I'm not sure whether we we will. There's a couple of bits, isn't there? Like I, I was talking to Rob Mason. A week or two ago, Sunderland historian about his new his new book that he's done. Um, but for the past few years, since leaving his full time job at Sunderland, Rob's been doing bit. He's been writing the Coventry program actually, um, as well as some All other right. bits because he he's obviously very familiar with the squads in in the Championship and the players who are in the Championship and the, the standard of, of football. And he said, you know, people are going to get a surprise at the the gulf between League One and the Championship. He said, I think it's actually bigger than the Championship. The Premiership is now. In terms of step up, now you say Bristol City are one of those teams who are, you know, comfortably mid-table, don't really threaten either either end too often. But you know, going away there, a point would be a, a great a great point, I think. And then, um, you know, Alex Neil, I think it was in the article in the Athletic. Alex Neil was saying like he'd kind of overestimated the quality of League One in his first few games with us because he's so used to setting up for Championship football, and you know setting up for championship football against better sides, you have to give teams possession to try to spring them out of position. And I think we mm-hmm. saw that against Coventry, and I think we'll see a similar game at Bristol where we kind of concede possession to them. We keep our shape and hopefully spring them on, on the counter-attack and get a, a goal. But look, we, we've got goals in our team, and that's the, the thing that we'll, we'll come back to all season. We've got goals in our team. It's not a situation where we've got a team where you go, you know what, we're going to have to 
grind out a goal. We're going to have to either get lucky or it's going to be a set piece. We've got the quality to to create. You've got your Roberts, who was on the bench on, on Sunday. Clark, Stewart, Pritchard, Embleton, all capable of scoring. Ellis Sims in, in the mix there. So we've got goals on our side. And it's it's just a matter of actually working those those opportunities. But sat here now, I think if we got a point on Saturday, I'd be pretty happy and think we've had a, a good solid start to the season. Yeah, we'll be back with a proper preview sort of towards the back end of the week. Uh, but I will grab some predictions because none of us will be on it. So, Craig, what do you think next weekend? Are you set on the fence or are you going to see a sun and win? Uh, score draw. I seen um, seen earlier that they're ah. expecting. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I seen that um, they're expecting a crowd of over twenty thousand. Um, they're making a pretty big deal out of it. Couldn't tell you what their their ground now holds with the extensions and stuff like that. But um, I think that they're they're looking to target like a sellout. One of the big things that I think might do as well going away from home this season is, um, is Alex Neal's not really scared of anybody and I think he, he highlighted that in particular when we went to Sheffield Wednesday in the playoffs a lot of people made such a fuss of you know Cauldron Hillsborough and all that sort of stuff and he told the media the day before we played well you know what have we got to be afraid of we're not going to get punched or anything like that it's just people being loud and I think if we can go there with a game plan we can just block that all out give a good account of ourselves then then yeah I'd, I'd fancy us for at least a, at least a draw but I think obviously the Coventry game certainly illustrated the, the difference in, in the golf and quality that we're going to be we're going to be coming up against this season. So look, if it is a worst case scenario and we come away and we've got beat again, it's not panic stations. We are going to go on on some patchy runs. I would expect this season, but the longer we can keep this momentum going, it's certainly going to bode well for us in the long run. So I fancy a point. I'm going to go one one. Martin. Yeah, I'd be thinking along similar lines to Craig. Yeah, nil nil or one one. <laughs> I am. Um... You know, a win would be nice, but again, I think it'd be a good point. I'm saying a win. I'm saying Ellis Sims comes off the bench and gets his uh, <laughs> goal on his debut, so we'll win one nil. Uh, but to be honest, I know nothing about the championship. That's one thing this weekend sort of shown me. I sat down on um, Saturday because obviously we weren't playing. Watched soccer Saturday, dipped into various games, just watching what was going on, and looked at the squads. More importantly, of these teams, and I don't know any of the players. I, in the end, I, I reverted to my comfort zone. I watched Chef Wed versus Portsmouth, just because it's a League One game and I know what's going on. Uh, so I've got a lot of learning to do. I'm sure the players do. I'm sure we all do. But uh, hopefully next weekend there'll be a, a successful exercise for Sunderland. We'll have three points, four points from two games. The first two games wouldn't be the end of the world, would it? it wouldn't be too shabby. Thanks, lads, for joining us. Cheers, as always. Like I say, hopefully have a preview before the weekend with Chris once he's back off his uh, piss up somewhere in Europe. Why not yet? He's on his jollies. Catch you all later. Cheers. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.